Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. A lot of times we talk about Catholic books on this podcast, different authors who have released uh, some book in the Catholic genre, devotional, or some sort of topic within Catholic theology. But today I'm speaking with an author who is a Catholic, but has written a novel. And this novel, The Edge of Inbetween by Lorelai Saverin, is one that contains Catholic themes. So think of C.S. Lewis and other authors who were able to do that, J.R.R. Tolkien, while she's doing the very same thing as a contemporary author. And it's very fitting, I think, that we talk about it during this month of November, here in the early days, because during the month of November, it's the month of all souls. And we pray especially for the dead from November 1st to November 8th. You can do so by visiting a cemetery. You can obtain an indulgence for the holy souls. And I encourage you to take part in that devotion because The Edge of Inbetween is kind of a book that brings about purgatory into the realm of conversation for young people. So Lorelai Saverin is an author of creepy, magical stories for children. She holds a BA in creative writing and is a former elementary teacher and instructional coach. When she isn't writing, though, she spends her time amid the beautiful chaos of life with her husband, four children, and dog outside of Chicago. She also is the author of The Circus of Stolen Dreams. So thanks so much, Lorelai, for taking time out of your busy day to speak with me today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so nice to chat with you again. Yeah, and some people might remember your name if they follow some of my content on social media because uh, we had a little video interview uh, a few months ago. It was back in May, actually. And uh, and we talked about how you became an author, uh, how you kind of signed with a big publishing house as well. And during that conversation, I thought this would be a great conversation to take to my other audience, especially for the month of November. I've followed you on Instagram. Again, not sure how that came about. I'm thinking it was like one of those follow Fridays where somebody like said, you should follow these five people. And and I did. And I was just always impressed with the content you were putting out. Saw you were in Green Bay. We were able to connect, etc. And uh, now we're able to have this Catholic conversation about your children's novel. Now, this book, The Edge of Inbetween, it's, it's a fantasy story in a sense. Your biography talks about magical stories for children. So how did you come about with the premise of this book? What was your inspiration for it? So I had for quite a while had it in my mind that I wanted to do a retelling of The Secret Garden when I was signing with my agent for my first book. They always ask you what other story ideas you have and I kept pitching to these agents. I was talking with like a spooky retelling of the secret garden and they seemed really excited about it. So um, this book premise sold basically as a premise um, as part of my first book deal um, with my first book. And so I had a lot of freedom in how I wanted to kind of construct the world. I reread the secret garden and there were certain elements that I wanted to keep the same from the original, but I also wanted to definitely give it, my own twist and what ended up coming out of this is a story set in in basically a version of purgatory um, where my main character is orphaned and she moves to live with her eccentric uncle in a place called the in-between which is a place between the land of the living and ever after 
which is where all souls um, who are in the in-between are destined to end up eventually. And so I really had a lot of fun playing with the secret garden concepts, but then also infusing into it a lot of my heart as a Catholic. Um, I've seen several people connect my story to The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, who wasn't technically a Catholic, but I think he's, you know, admired and respected um, by by all Christians. Um, so I definitely pulled from that. I wanted to set a story in this space and really delve into like what the people you might meet there would be like and how somebody could find or multiple people could find healing and hope again and find their way more fully to love inside of you know a world filled with ghosts basically for those of us who might be literature ignorant the secret garden and you mentioned this the last time we talked back in may and it's funny because I don't think I'd ever heard of that book. And honestly, I haven't read it yet. But I've heard it mentioned often in conversation now, now that I've had kind of that introduction to what it is as a concept. Uh, I've heard other authors reference it and so forth. So who wrote The Secret Garden? What's that story? Um, As you try to parallel your book uh, with that one. Yeah, so the author is Frances Hodgson Burnett, um, and it actually wasn't her most famous book during her lifetime, but posthumously it has become probably her most well-known book. And that's the story of a girl named Mary Lennox who is orphaned, who does go to live with her uncle, and who basically um, helps the brokenness in that family heal and kind of heals herself by spending a lot of time outdoors um, with her cousin and with some of the other people who live on the property and kind of bringing a garden that had been untended to for many years back to life. So like they plant a lot of flowers and they be, they make it this blossoming and vibrant place again and kind of helps a lot of the brokenness to heal. So people who are familiar with that story will definitely find elements of that that I've kept, but I've thrusted into this magical, slightly spooky setting and added some unique twists and turns that hopefully will also feel really fresh for people reading it too. And this place of the in-between, so you mentioned the land of the living, so that's earth, that's where we are, ever after, that's heaven, that's kind of the illusion there, and then you have the place of in-between. Now, for us, purgatory is a place where, where we're purified of sin, where we are where we don't yet enjoy the vision of God, but we know we'll get to that place of heaven that we'll get to ever after. So how do you kind of bring out the idea of purgatory as the place of the in-between? Yeah, so it was really important to me as a Catholic to, within this you know pretend magical world that I've made, to try and be as truthful as possible in the parameters that I set. So every soul that is in the in-between is bound forever after Some of them are very, very ready to go, and they are just sprinting toward the mountains of ever after. There are other souls who are maybe going a little bit more slowly, some souls who have maybe stopped to think a little while. But the things that hold them back could be, it could be a variety of things. Some of them um, are attachments and things that they haven't yet been able to let go of um, from their life as a living person. Um, 
And some of them just haven't fully leaned into and trusted that love that is waiting for them on the other side. They have some things they have to work through. Um, and then along with my, so we meet a ghost who actually is in the in-between, um, the ghost of a boy named Timmy, who we get to see his progression from um, from having something that is holding him back that he's holding on to, to letting go of that and then being ready for that love to fully embrace him at the end. And I think that's probably one of my most favorite, most Catholic like scenes in, in the whole book. Um, but I also explore the idea that a couple ideas, one that those of us who are living don't really belong there yet, but also that we can have some of that redemptive suffering and some of that growing closer to being ready for love even before we end up in the in-between. So hopefully then when you get there, you're one of the souls who's just ready to burst forward and just head head straight to the mountains. So there's a lot of layers to it that I think um, Catholics um, will be able to pick up on. <laughs> and some of us as Catholics, then we have that language. We are able to kind of see that. And, and that's what people see when they read The Lord of the Rings, when they read C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia. I remember when, as an adult, I went back and I read, or actually I think I listened on Audible uh, to some of these uh, C.S. Lewis stories of the Chronicles of Narnia, and to think of all the biblical illusions that were there. And uh, it was something that, of course, as a young person, I didn't catch. So as young people are reading this, and maybe their parents are reading it alongside them, uh, have they caught these themes? That's a really good question. Um, I don't look too often at reviews of my books, but occasionally I get curious. And um, I know that some people maybe have picked up on the themes and like not been super excited how Catholic it was. Like maybe people who aren't Catholic or who aren't Christian um, have caught it. But I know people who are people of faith have caught it and have compared it, made those comparisons to like in the C.S. Lewis tradition and um, whatnot, parents and families that I know have talked to me about how they definitely picked up on it. So I think it's there. And I think one of the things that maybe most surprised me about this book was um, how much of my faith I was able to put into a book that is being published by a publisher that is is not of my faith orientation. I kept thinking I was going to get an email at some point saying, pull back pull back on this book is too like religious or too, too much faith in it. No one ever sent me that email. So it, it has emerged largely intact in terms of the, the layers of faith that I wanted to put in it. And I'm really thankful for that because that means that kids who walk into Barnes and Noble or walk into bookstores across this whole country can find my story there. And it lifts up the good and the true and the beautiful. And even if they don't have a name for like what those things are pointing towards. I think that hopefully for many, there's something on a really deep level, that part of us that resonates with those things that are good and that are true, that that they will connect with, even if their family doesn't necessarily have a name for it like I do. And we should mention that this book, The Edge of In-Between, is published by a very popular publishing house, Penguin Random House, under their imprint of Viking. And uh, yeah. so, so it is a big name. And as you mentioned, for them to be okay with this. And 
have you ever been reserved, you know, kind of as you're writing in a secular realm, bringing in your faith? Has that been something that you've been cautious about or you worry that people will come after you for that? I think I walk a very interesting line. That's something that is constantly in my prayers and constantly on my heart because there's part of me that knows that I've been given the opportunity to have this platform um, because that God has put me here. And so I have this and I want to make good use and be a good steward of, of the way that I'm able to reach kids because with Penguin Random House, like the distribution of my book is really wide and it's very easy to access it. Um, so I feel that burden. Um, I definitely, I, I definitely feel a lot of tension with that. I, I blog for a Catholic mom. I have a Catholic blog, thiscatholicfamily.com. So I talk about matters of faith, but usually on my author account, um, I try and keep it focused on my books. And then I definitely have that other stuff out there. And I, I've decided quite a long time ago that I'm going to be my authentic self. Um, but just to generally like with my author brand, like my author Instagram is just mostly focused on author life stuff. But then people could search me and easily see my Catholic blog, easily see that I write for Catholic mom. So it's all it's all out there. I'm just trying to be systematic in in how I navigate like my social media presence, if that makes sense. But it's constantly evolving and it's constantly something I'm praying about because I do I do want to be able to have this opportunity to reach this many kids. Um, at the end of the day as well. So I don't know. I don't know if I have arrived at the perfect answer yet, but I'm trying to do my best. <laughs> and that's something you're passionate about. You want wholesome stories for young people to read because we yes. know today they could go to Barnes & Noble, look at the children's section. They can find the stories about kids who are choosing to be transgender or transition to the other sex or whatever. And, and so you want them to have wholesome content. And in fact, you actually have like a little side project where you have a little library that you travel around with, I think in a trailer so that people yeah, can- Yeah, it's a little bookshop. Yeah, so, so you want to expose people to good stories that will form their character uh, and so forth. Yeah, I'm very passionate about that. My daughter just went to the library with a friend and she came home with five books. And the first two books that she picked, she read a few pages of and she- she told me that she couldn't keep reading them because there was certain content in those first two books that made her uncomfortable. Now she's in fifth grade. So we've had a lot of conversations at this point. Um, and so, you know, talking about like the kinds of things we want to put into our minds and into our hearts. And it was a really affirming moment for me that she is internalized um, some of that. But a lot of times when you go into a bookstore or you, your kid goes into a library, you don't know the content that that's in those books. And if there are certain things that you would want to have a discussion with your, your kids about before they read it in a book, um, a lot of middle grade books right now even have things like tarot cards and tarot card readings and seances and things like that um, inside them that you wouldn't necessarily even know from looking at the back cover or just looking at the picture on the cover of the book. So in my bookshop, I've curated a selection of books from babies to young adults that um, I would feel good giving my own kids that don't have like occulty things or just any of those things that you would find in, in a lot of the places where books can be found today. And so, yeah, I do hold value in being able to add to the canon of literature and to be able to put books out for kids that um, like I write, like my book I'm writing right now is a ghost story, but I'm trying to be 
even like theologically sound in how I navigate ghosts. Like there won't be any seances. There's not going to be any Ouija boards, anything like that, because it's just, there's, there's a lot of that. And you just, parents have a hard time navigating it. And I feel that I feel that as a parent of four kids myself. Are there going to be any Catholic themes in your new book? Oh, there are always going to be Catholic themes, I think, in in my books. Um, part of part of this book is turning into, it's a little bit different than where it started, but it's about um, forgiveness and being becoming more of the person that you were created to be, which we talk to our kids all the time about that in terms of like, becoming a saint, right? What's a saint? It's it's growing fully into who God created you with the potential to be. So while I'm developing this story, I'm always thinking about what's the deeper message here? Like, what do I want kids to be able to take away from this and hold inside their hearts? Um, so the Catholic, like the level of Catholicism may like increase or decrease depending on the story, but it's always a part of me. And I'm always going to try to be like theologically, at least, um, you know, sound in terms of how I present my world and my characters journeys, even if it's not explicitly a Catholic book. Uh, I want to go back to the edge of in between this book uh, in which you kind of have the theme of purgatory there as the in between place. And you have to develop a story then, and you use the secret garden as kind of a model, uh, kind of repurposing it here in this book, but you have to create characters. Do you base the characters off of real life people? I usually try and give them some of their own um, their own flavor, but of course, like my children definitely inspire me. So there are pieces of my kids in different characters, and there are maybe pieces of myself in in different characters as well. Um, in the edge of in between, in particular, I tried to make sure that there was a counterpart um, in my book for each major character in the original story. So there's a gardener in the original story. There's also a gardener type character in my retelling. So I actually gave myself some kind of interesting parameters to work within. Since I was doing a retelling, I wanted to to have a character counterpart so people could recognize that. Um, but especially in my first book, even The Circus of Stolen Dreams, the sister and the brother characters are very much based after my oldest two kids. Now, you mentioned the gardener. So there's a gardener in the edge of in-between. And as mm -hmm. you mentioned, the gardener, it kind of made me think, of course, Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene in the garden and how <laughs> uh, she thinks he's the gardener. And she says to him, you know, it, where I don't know where they've put Jesus. If you know, let me know. And then eventually she recognizes the one who she thinks is the gardener to be the Lord. And so I even just kind of thought of that as, as you were just speaking. Yeah, yeah, there's I think there are so many ways that people could dig into the edge of in between and find find our Catholic faith. Another big one in this story is redemptive suffering. How do we take something bad and how do, how can it be redeemed to create something beautiful? And when I do school visits at Catholic schools, I love talking about that to the students there and how much that's in the book and I there's always almost always a crucifix in the room when I'm at visiting a Catholic school. And I point to that and I say redemptive suffering is literally like the linchpin of our faith. Christ suffered to redeem us. So even when we struggle with suffering in our own lives, we, we know that we can 
offer it up and that it, God can turn it into something beautiful. And my characters in this book literally do that by taking this frozen over garden that's filled with decay and finding a way to bring it back to to life even better than it ever was before. So there's redemptive suffering, there's purgatory, um, there's, there's so many layers to it. And it's so fun when I get to talk about it because I don't always get to talk about that side of this book. <laughs> We talk about purgatory having a presence, in a sense, in the edge of in-between. And I think, you know, for me, I have a devotion, especially to praying for the dead. I, I like visiting cemeteries, uh, especially during the eight days of November. Uh, but also just to walk and pray the rosary. I find it to be a very quiet place, obviously, to pray, but also just a very spiritual place. I I know like St. Damien of Molokai, he used to do the very same thing, walk and pray the rosary uh, in the cemetery. I'm wondering if praying for the dead or a devotion to the poor souls was present in your life before you wrote this book. It absolutely was. Um, a lot of my creative process over the past few years has been informed by a loss in um, in our home, in our family, we lost our my aunt very tragically in 2018, very suddenly. Um, and so in in some ways, my books are processing that and navigating that. My first book is literally the story of a girl who is able to find and save the one she has lost. And then in the edge of in between, um, I have been praying for my aunt's soul since 2018 and it's probably more than I have prayed for anyone's soul in the history of my life especially since I've only been Catholic since I was since 2016 <laughs> so this was my first like major loss since becoming Catholic and having that option or knowing that it was available to me to pray for souls um so I have these years of praying for my aunt's soul and to um to offering up masses for her and all of these things that I just didn't have before. And I find that there is such power um, and such peace to know that we can help and that our prayers can reach them. And that like also just trusting in that love that there is that opportunity for those who maybe have died with some attachments or who um, aren't quite ready for that all consuming love yet, just to know that they're headed there. Um, and to tr to have that trust that that peace is awaiting them and that we can play a role in helping support them in that, like that has been a lifeline to me in the grieving process for sure. You mentioned that you converted to the Catholic faith in 2016. So you've been a Catholic now for, for a good number of years, a handful of years. And were there things that you found, you know, in the Catholic Church, maybe that you were a little apprehensive towards at first? Maybe purgatory would have been one of them. But uh, yeah, were there any reservations about the faith as you were coming into the church? So many reservations. Um, I spent 10 years married to my husband, and he had been raised Catholic, and I had been raised various denominations in the evangelical realm. Um, I had all the misconceptions. So if you've ever talked to anyone who has had a misconception about Catholicism, I could just raise my hand and probably be like, that was me. I thought um, the Mary stuff was weird. I thought praying to saints was not a good thing. I thought 
purgatory was just some random like waiting place, kind of like the DMV. Like I didn't understand the point of it. Um, for a long time, I was, I believed in once saved, always saved. Uh, at the churches that I went to were really focused on like the emotional experience. So I didn't understand the ritual and the liturgy of mass and the, and the beauty of that for a really long time. So I pretty much had everything, um, everything. So then I think it's, God has a really great sense of humor because then here I am years down the line, like literally writing a book set in purgatory. So, um, I, I chuckle about my journey quite a bit. <laughs> what was it that made you change your mind about some of these things? Um, it was a lot and it was a long accumulation of things that kind of was led to me actually pretty much being agnostic for for a while. Like I was still going to church, um, to our evangelical churches and kind of going through the motions so even just that in and of itself made me question once saved, always saved, because I had been really passionate about my faith and like I would have gone to bat for Jesus any day of the week for many, many years. And then I'm going to church and like not even knowing if he's real. And I'm like, well, how is once saved, always saved, like even a reality then? Because I don't even know if I believe this anymore, but I for sure believed it then. Uh, the hyper emotionalism of church service. I led worship. I was on the worship team. So the feeling like I was kind of giving a concert and was successful if I made people feel a certain way, just started not sitting right with me um, to the point where I resigned from leading worship on the worship team because I felt like I was lying. I felt like I was singing things and I could get people to feel certain things, but I didn't even believe the words that I was saying. Um, and then the big kicker for me after a whole bunch of other stuff was the fact that no one who was at the churches that we went to could tell me what the early church looked like. And I was desperate to find out. I started looking into Jewish history and was trying to find a connection to the church. Cause I just felt like what we were doing didn't look like the early church looked like, and that maybe it should more than it did. And no one even thought that was a question that was important to answer that this whole church service with the emotional music and then the, um, the pastor, you know, giving the sermon was like the main event and then maybe a little more emotional music. And then these small group Bible studies, like that was just like church to them, but I didn't understand the connection to what the people who lived when Jesus was on earth and the people who lived immediately following that, like what they established. And there was a moment where I was sitting on my couch and ready to give up the whole thing. And I just thought, oh, no, oh, no, I am starting to think about my faith like a Catholic because I knew what Catholics thought. I knew it because JP's whole family had been Catholic and had been trying to convert me for like a decade. And I wanted connection to history and I wanted their, the emotionalism to stop. And I wanted just tradition. <laughs> what I wanted was tradition. And so we found ourselves, I told my husband, what I was thinking, and he had been on his own journey to being drawn back to the Catholic Church, but he was too scared to tell me because he, of how much I fought him about it at first. So when I told him I wanted to go to Mass, he just about, like, didn't even know what to do with it. And he was like, yes, yes, let's go back to Mass. And then we really never, never looked back. That was in December of 2015, and I was confirmed April, whatever Easter was in 2016 on Easter Vigil. 
Oh, that's an incredible story. And uh, yeah, yeah. And it shows, you know, kind of uh, how you go through that progression and, and arrive at that point. Lots of converts have very similar stories where they encounter the early church. They want to know what it was like. They read yep. church fathers like Justin Martyr or Ignatius of Antioch or Irenaeus or whatever. And they're like, well, this is what the early believers did. And so then they come to faith and they come to the Catholic Church for that. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Blessed Mother, just because this is my little podcast, How They Love Mary. Always have to bring Mary in to the conversation somehow. Yeah. Uh, Is there any Mary figure in the edge of in-between? That's a good question. I was thinking about that um, in preparation for our chat. And I think I I have... um, God is the the great magician in this world, so he's the source of all that is true and beautiful and good. I don't think I have a Mary figure in it, but I would not put it past me to put a Mary figure in one of my upcoming books. My relationship with Mary has been growing over time. Um, it, it was probably the last Protestant domino to fall for me, so... We like I'm looking, I'm sitting in my living room right now and we have like a wall rosary. And so I'm just looking at that. So I've come a long way with Mary and I am so thankful for her. Um, And it's definitely on my mind. There are seeds of stories that have kind of that parallel that I really hope I get the chance to tell someday um, because that would be that'd be so cool. So, yeah, stay tuned, I guess, for that would be probably my best answer. (laughs) You talk about seeds of stories, and I'm kind of like this. I always have like a hundred different ideas of things, right? So how many books do you think you have just as like a kernel, or maybe you even started working and you abandoned? Do you have like a, a, not like a treasure chest, but a metaphorical treasure chest of, of abandoned stories or hopeful stories? Yeah, I have probably at this point in terms of what I've developed to pitch to editors and what I've developed with my agent or things that I've started drafting or even things that I have like just a little note about or a little scene in my head. I mean, it's probably like 20 different things that are floating in my head, even just over the past five years since I've like entered the professional publishing world. And I'm always thinking and kind of how I weed them out is thinking about what is an enduring message that I want to share with kids and um, and whenever I can find a way to slide some of my faith in there, that story would take priority just because of how much I feel like it's needed as well. One of these days, I would love to write like a novel or something along those lines. Uh, I, I've told a few stories for children and, and little children books about uh, Christmas stories or whatever. But uh, but to do a, a full-fledged novel, I don't know what it takes, but I have ideas and maybe one day uh, I'll be able to flesh them out. Yeah, it's just a lot of it is just sitting down and like one word at a time, just getting it done. And then I'm always surprised, even this is, I'm working on my third book today after we talk and with like how much of this whole process is revising your book, like drafting it is like almost the easy part once you get to the nitty gritty of it, because I will have been working on this book now for a year um, and just like revising it and trying to get it closer to what it's supposed to be. And there's so much time um, and so much mental fortitude it takes to do that revision work because you're literally pulling things apart and putting them back together and you're not sure exactly if it's going to 
turn out the way that it should or how many times you're going to have to pull things apart and put them back together. And um, that can be a really uncertain mental space. Um, learning to trust the process has been a big part of the journey for me. Well, that's wonderful. So I'm looking forward to your next book, whatever the title is and how the story unfolds. And uh, if people want to get your books, so you have The Circus of Stolen Dreams or The Edge of In-Between, how can they do that? Where can they find them? Yeah, um, so both of those books are generally available wherever books are sold, um, especially um, on websites for bookstores. If uh, smaller bookstores, many of them do carry them, um, but if they don't, you can usually get it on their website. Um, But some specific places to go, would be if anyone wants a signed copy of either of the books, it would be available at www.thebutterflybookshop.com. And that is my mobile children's bookstore, and that's where I offer signed copies. Um, And then Amazon has them, Barnes & Noble has them. Um, A lot of independent bookstores have them. So you could really just find them anywhere online or just go to my author website, lorelisovereign.com. And there are many links there as well. And you mentioned earlier that you have two different other Catholic projects on the internet. One is Writing for Catholic Moms. So I'll link your Catholic Mom page uh, in the show notes. But uh, what was the other blog that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, the other blog is This Catholic Family. And that is a personal blog that I started shortly after my conversion. And I just, I was writing at first a lot of different like apologetic things. Part of it was an effort to try and get my friends who were really confused about my conversion to kind of understand my process or to understand, have a more accurate understanding of what Catholicism believes. So I have a Catholic 101 series, um, why I love confession, all of those kinds of things. And over time, I still incorporate some of those, but it's also become a bit about our family and our faith journey and um, just some of the more practical aspects of of living life. So you can get a good taste of everything from like just conversion blog posts to Catholic mom and family life on there as well. And maybe just one last question that popped in my head, but, you know, Christmas is coming around right around the corner. It's almost like less than two months away now. So <laughs> uh, what's, what would be a good age range? So if someone's like, I want to give Lorelai's books to my grandkids, my niece, my nephew, like what age would The Edge of In-Between or The Circus of Stolen Dreams be written for? Yeah, I think that on the back cover, it officially says 8 to 12 or 10 to 12 or something like that on the backs of the covers. So my daughter read The Circus of Stolen Dreams when she was eight. It does have a few suspenseful moments in it. So I would just make sure that the kiddo you're giving it to is just ready for like a little bit of kid-friendly suspense um, in it. And then The Edge of In-Between is really similar. Um, Obviously, it takes place in a land filled with ghosts, but it's not really meant to be like just like jump scares. There's a deeper purpose to it. So my daughter read that one when she was nine and was totally, totally fine with it. So I get a lot of kids from like ages eight to 13 who, who enjoy my books. And that's the encouragement for all of you to share this book, maybe with someone you know, a a young person in your life this holiday season. Well, thanks so much, Lorelai, for joining me today to talk a little bit about purgatory as it's captured in the book, The Edge of In-Between.
Thank you so much for having me. It's always nice to talk to you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show and for all the many ways that you support the podcast. If you want to help out the podcast, be sure to check out Sock Religious. I love their socks. I love their shirts. And so go over to Sock Religious, use the link in the show notes, and buy some holy socks or some holy shirts that you can wear to evangelize your family and your friends. If you also want to support the podcast, I invite you to please share the podcast with your friends or on your social media platforms. Rate or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't mind, please follow me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. My handle is at FR Edward Looney. You'll see all of the posts, all of the content that I put out each week by following me there. Thanks so much again for listening today. Know that I am entrusting you to the heart of Mary, asking her to pray for you this day and every day. And if you don't mind, say a prayer for me too. Let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.